Our scripture reading today is from Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your word offers before us life and blessing and also warns us of death and cursing. And God, I pray this morning that we would each choose life. I ask that you would help us to see the promises of your word. Lord, give us hope deep in our hearts so that we leave here rejoicing because you are faithful and you have promised life. I ask that you would bless this time as we go to your word. May I be faithful to exactly what it says and say nothing else beyond it. And I pray that as we leave, we would remember it and we would live it. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, it would bear fruit in our lives and in our world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture holds out two things that seem at odds with one another. On the one hand, there is life and blessing, and on the other hand, there is death and cursing. And you can find Christians and ministers and preachers who will overemphasize either one of those things. And in fact, in Luke's gospel, you find a man like John the Baptist who is fiery, and preaches judgment and warns people that they urgently need to repent. And yet, when Christ comes, Christ comes and preaches forgiveness and welcomes anyone and everyone who will listen and heals and raises the dead. And so, even in Luke's gospel, this tension exists. And this morning, Jesus is going to address that tension. I want to invite you 
We are in Luke chapter 7 today, and I would encourage you, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab one of the ones that's around you in the room, and I want to strongly encourage you to open it so that you can see the text that I am preaching from. It's very easy to find. We're about 75% of the way through the Bible. Luke is a large book, so if you just find Matthew, Mark, Luke, that's the, the books leading up to Luke's gospel. If you come to John, you've gone too far, you can just find it just by thumbing through it. Find Luke, then find chapter 7, and that's where we're going to be for the bulk of our time this morning. What we find is that John the Baptist is wondering about who Jesus is. And so I want to say just a word this morning and ask you to remember John the Baptist with me. Luke begins his gospel, and he says very clearly that he is writing this gospel so that we could know with accuracy the things that we have heard about Jesus. So when someone tells you about Jesus, you take Luke's gospel and you test what you hear. Luke's gospel is accurate and reliable. And he wrote it so that we could have confidence about the things that we are taught concerning Jesus. And when he begins... He actually begins not with Jesus, but with the birth of John the Baptist, who goes ahead of Jesus and prepares the way for him. In one sense, he's a little bit like the the poor announcer who goes out on stage while no one is listening or paying attention. They're, They're all chatting with each other. And so that poor guy goes out there and no one cares about him at all. And he starts making some noise and and says that someone else is about to come on stage. You know, the the main act. And you don't want to miss even a split second of the main act. So he tells you that it's coming so that you're ready when the main act shows up on stage. That's what John the Baptist does. He says the main act is coming and his job is to prepare the way. John the Baptist himself is perhaps one of the craziest people in the Bible. He is a strange man. He runs his ministry in a desert. He did not go to the large cities of the day. He he wasn't thinking, you know, strategically, if you will, like how can I get a crowd? How can I maximize my impact? He went to the middle of nowhere and expected people to come to him to hear him preach. And they did. They came in droves. He wore rough clothing. He he wore camel's hair, which in itself seems strange, and it seems like he did not want to live a comfortable life. Even with his choice of clothing, his clothing was a daily reminder that things were not as they should be, that, that the kingdom of God had not come yet. And he only ate wild locusts and honey. Simple diet, Simple man, and, and you know, for all, for all of our diet fads, you know, I hear that the Daniel diet made the news a couple of weeks ago because an actor was living on the Daniel diet. I have never heard someone say, I'm going to go on the John the Baptist diet. I just think it's, you know, it's got protein and it's got a healthy kind of, kind of sweetener. And nobody does that. He doesn't do this because he's convinced that it's healthy. He does this because every aspect of his life enabled him to have a singular vision on his calling from God 
to announce the coming of Jesus, that the kingdom of God was almost there. And every part of his life focused on that mission. You know, we, as we read about someone like that, I think we tend to think, man, he was a little crazy. Maybe he should have lightened up just a little bit. And I want to actually take just a second, I think it's worthwhile, to compare him to someone that, that a lot of people highly respect. Uh, a lot of people, you know, the biography came out, man, it was probably 10 years ago now, uh, of a guy that had so much success in the business world that everyone wanted to know, how did he run his life? How did he do what he did? And if you enjoy having a smartphone, you owe some direct thanks to this man. I'm, I'm talking about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, if, if you've ever seen a picture of him, you know right away what he was wearing. He always wore a black turtleneck with black pants. Do you know why that was? He wasn't trying to make a fashion statement. He never wanted to think about what to wear. He never got up in the morning and wasted too much of his day thinking about, you know, is, is this what will look good today? You know, is this how I'm going to impress people? He didn't care. He wore one thing every day of his life so that he never had to think about what he wore. Not only that, and this is something that I didn't realize until recently, he had bizarre convictions about food. He would go weeks at a time eating only apples and carrots. Two things. You know, he never opened the refrigerator and thought, what am I going to take for my lunch today? He always knew. And when he branched out a little bit, he would eat nuts and berries and other fruits and vegetables. He was committed to only eating things that would not harm something. So he ate an apple because you could eat an apple without hurting the apple tree. He was not a healthy person. He was also convinced that because of his dedication to what he ate, that his body was so clean that he would not produce body odor. So he did not shower regularly. And his co-workers are united in saying that he was wrong about that. He did those things because he was a man of singular focus and vision. And if we're honest, we will also say he was crazy. But because he was successful, a lot of people, and I say successful in a worldly sense, a lot of people will try to imitate him and do what he did. And maybe we won't be as austere, but we will all give him credit for maintaining that singular focus and vision. And what I want to say to you today is the fact that we admire Steve Jobs and we look at John the Baptist and say he was crazy and he is a visionary is a testimony to the fact that we don't believe people who talk about God, but we believe people who do well in the business world. It's an indictment of what we value and believe. They have the same sort of singular focus and vision. One was a businessman, the other was a prophet. And what I want to say to you this morning is that there are a lot of people who are confused about who Jesus is. There are a lot of people 
that are not ready for when Jesus returns. Because they're not committed to the purpose of God. John was one of the people who was confused about Jesus, but he was committed to the purpose of God. And ultimately, there are a lot of people who will be condemned because they will not be ready for the return of Christ. So my goal this morning, what I want to do in this message from this passage in Luke, is I want to make sure that I am not confused about Jesus. I want to have clarity about that. Not only do I want to have clarity about who Jesus is, I want to be committed to God's purposes in my life, in our church, and in his world. And I want to encourage you to have the same radical commitment. And finally, I want to make sure that I am not ultimately condemned before Christ, that Christ will not send me off and say, depart from me, I never knew you. But instead, I will find the joy of my Savior because I was ready when he returned. And as a pastor, I want the same thing for each of you. That you would have clarity about Christ, that you would be committed in your life, and that you would not be condemned. So to begin with, as we think about these two things, the fiery ministry of John the Baptist and and the the gracious and awesome blessing that came through Christ and, and how do they fit together, let's talk for a moment about confusion about Jesus. And I want to encourage you, like I said, we're in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 18 to 23, and I want to encourage you to follow along with me. So Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18, says the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And the things they are talking about, last week we talked about how Jesus raised a widow's son from the dead and how he healed a servant of a centurion that wasn't even there. The centurion didn't even come to talk to Jesus. He said, I'm not worthy to talk to you, but you can do this. And and so we saw Jesus has the authority to heal even from a distance. That's an encouragement to us because everything we ask of God is from a distance. And we saw that Jesus has the compassion to raise the dead for a widow who didn't even ask him to do it. So you see his incredible authority. You see his incredible compassion. Those are the things that John the Baptist's disciples come and tell him about. And John, verse 19 here, said, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And in that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. John the Baptist, when he sent these messengers, is currently in prison. Luke has already reported to us, in John's fiery preaching, he condemned the sin of King Herod. King Herod had taken his brother's wife to be his own wife. And John said, it is not lawful for you to marry her. And so King Herod, rather than repenting, 
silenced the prophet by throwing him in prison. So in a literal dungeon, perhaps in, in a little bit of depression, John is maybe wondering about his own ministry. We can't say that for sure. But he is clearly wondering if Jesus is actually the Messiah, if Jesus is really the person to come. And, and you, you remember, John had prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus is baptized by John. John is there when the Spirit descends on Jesus and the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. John had heard that Jesus is the King to come. And yet, his life is not going as he planned. He's in a dungeon. And the ministry of Jesus is not doing the things that John had preached about. John's preaching had been fiery. He he said at one point to the religious leaders, You vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? He expected when the kingdom of God arrived... That God would punish the leaders who were not being faithful. And Jesus came healing the sick, raising the dead, and welcoming anyone who would listen to him. Tax collectors and sinners. And John doesn't see the wrath that he preached about in Christ. He sees something totally different. And so he's wondering... Is this going to happen? Is is Jesus really the Christ? And so he sends messengers to find out. And Jesus replies to him. And he references all of those miracles that he's just performed. He references the blind receiving their sight. Lepers being cleansed. and, And the deaf being able to hear. The dead being raised. And all of those things point back to the Old Testament. There's a prophet named Isaiah who wrote specifically that the Messiah would do these things. And so Jesus is reminding John, you know the prophet Isaiah. I am doing exactly what Isaiah said that I would do. God said that the Messiah would do all of these things. The kingdom is a place of life and health and blessing. And Jesus is demonstrating that he can rule in that way. But then he says this curious thing right at the end. Verse 23, he says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Why would anyone be offended by a king who can raise the dead Heal the lame. Why would anyone be offended by a king who offered forgiveness? Well, we've already seen in Jesus' preaching that not everyone approved of the way he welcomed tax collectors and sinners. I talked a little bit about if we follow Jesus and we forgive the sins that people love to hate, people will hate us. And if we follow Jesus... And we condemn the sins that people particularly love. They will hate us for that as well. Jesus offered a radical grace that people are uncomfortable with. And Jesus condemned sin universally. He didn't have an in crowd and an out crowd. He said all of us have a sin problem. And he called everyone to repentance. And so people were offended 
by this king who would heal and forgive because he also called people to repentance and they didn't want to think that they needed that repentance. Jesus said there is going to be a day when you are offended by me and you will not be blessed. He is clearly implying, and he will say in just a moment, that John is absolutely right about the wrath of God coming. And if you accept Jesus now, you are blessed. If you are not offended by him, you are blessed. But if you write him off and say he is irrelevant or wrong, you will find yourself on the receiving end of God's wrath. There are no other options. Blessing in Christ or wrath apart from Christ. The confusion is clarified when we understand that Jesus comes first offering God's mercy. John 3.17 says, The Son of Man, did not, He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might live through him. But there is coming a day when he does come as a righteous judge. The judgment that John foretold is still coming. John was not wrong. And so Lauren read from Matthew 25, when the Son of Man returns in his glory, he comes as a judge. And the righteous receive all of the blessings of the kingdom, but those who rejected the king are punished in eternal suffering. That day is coming. So the confusion over Jesus is clarified because he is both promising blessing, which we see in his life and in his ministry, but the judgment that John prophesied about is still coming. They are one and the same purpose for God. So if you are offended by Jesus, there is no hope for you. But if you believe Jesus, you are blessed. This is an issue of life and death. It's an issue that calls for commitment from each one of us. And Jesus calls people to that kind of commitment to the purpose of God. So once you have this kind of clarity about who Christ is, you have to decide Are you for him or are you against him? And I want to encourage you to look at how Jesus talks about this in verses 24 through 30 as he helps people understand the ministry of John the Baptist. Listen to verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. He is not just a prophet. He is is one of the greatest who has ever been born. Yet Jesus says, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. 
But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Now, now notice this. Jesus affirms the ministry of John the Baptist. Verse 29 says, when all the people heard this, they heard Jesus say John was right. When they heard Jesus say that John was right, they declared God just because they had been baptized by John. What is he talking about? First, I want to say a word about how Jesus validated John's ministry. Jesus honors his boldness and conviction. You know what he says? He says, did you go out to see a reed that was blown about by the wind? We all love to talk about how politicians, you know, you lick your finger and stick it up in the air to figure out which way the wind is blowing, and then you have your direction and vision for your campaign, right? That is not what John the Baptist was. He did not care which way the wind was blowing. He would not be swayed by popular opinion. He was a man of singular conviction to communicate the message that God had given him in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it didn't matter what people thought. He said what God said. And Jesus said he was more than a prophet. He was the one who prepared the way for the Christ. And when the crowds went and were baptized by him, they agreed that they were in sin. And the baptism of repentance prepared them for the Messiah. You cannot meet Jesus unless you are willing to confess yourself as a sinner. And so the ministry of John the Baptist prepared people to hear from the Messiah. If you think the Messiah is just going to come and bless you in your sin, you're wrong. John the Baptist prepared the way by being a man of bold conviction who spoke on behalf of God. That's what it means to be a prophet. You speak God's words. You speak God's message. And he faithfully told people, there is wrath coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. Be ready for the king. Because if you are not right with God, the king will be your judge. But if you plead with God for mercy, he will give it to you. And then this king will be the greatest blessing that you can ever imagine. So he validates exactly who John was and what he said. And then he describes how not everyone was committed to the purpose of God. The, the people who, who are declaring God just, we all do this. Okay, God says in his word things about sin and righteousness. What's good and true and what is evil and wicked. And if we hear God's word and say, God is right and I, I am in sin, and I need to repent, we are saying God is just. And when we back up that conviction by following Jesus, by being baptized, saying, I deserve to die, and, and being raised up out of the water, saying, I am going to walk in newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we do that and our lives change, we are agreeing with God, Lord, my sin deserves death. But through Jesus, you will give me life. You are just, God. But there's another option. Many people say, I don't agree with what God said in the Bible about my sin. Many people say that the scriptures are wrong. And so they say that God is not just. And with their lives, they call him a liar. Because they refuse to agree with the purpose of God. God's purpose 
is ultimately to exalt his son, Jesus Christ. And he does that by showing his love for you in sending him to die on the cross for your sins and rise from the dead. And if you reject his son, God as a just and a holy God will punish the sins that you have because you did not confess them. And so they are not covered by Jesus' blood. Those are the only two options. You agree with God's justice or you are an object of his wrath. And so God's purpose is to demonstrate his justice by exalting Jesus Christ as the king. If you reject that purpose and you reject King Jesus and you reject the things that he tells you in his word, you are calling God a liar and you are rejecting the purpose of God for yourself. Jesus says the Pharisees and the lawyers did that. They rejected the purpose of God for themselves because when John the Baptist said, you need to flee from the wrath that is to come, they said, why? They denied their own sin. They they said that they were fine before God. They said, you know, we are good Christian people, except they weren't Christians. They they were Jews at that time. So, you know, we follow God faithfully. We know the Bible. And so they said, we don't need this kind of repentance. John, we don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus said, they missed God's purpose. And in fact, not only did they miss God's purpose, but he condemned the entire generation So look with me at what Jesus says about the people that totally rejected God's purpose. Verse 31 says, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus is saying, you've rejected my ministry, you've rejected John's ministry. And the future is going to show through the fruit of these ministries that John and Jesus are right. You want to know what is, he, what is the fruit? What, what is the children of wisdom? He's going to show you in the last half of this chapter. A sinful woman is forgiven and restored. And Jesus assures her that her faith has saved her. She says go in peace. That's the fruit of Jesus' ministry. People who agree with God about their sin and find forgiveness. John and Jesus both had crowds come to them and find that peace and assurance. When you see the dead raised spiritually and you see people changed forever, that is a product of God Almighty at work. But Jesus is saying to that generation when he was alive, most of them missed who he was. And he says the fact that they rejected both John and his fiery preaching and Jesus and the joy that Jesus offered demonstrated that their hearts were not open to God at all. Jesus condemned the generation he ministered to because they rejected both John and him. And this is a passage that is enormously convicting for me because I can be a proud person as I study the scriptures. I can be very much like a Pharisee. 
I can say, I am right because of this verse and point you to chapter and verse. And sometimes when I do that, my heart is not right. And I don't care about what God wants. I just want to use the scriptures to protect myself as a wall. I did this all the time in high school. And I read a book by a guy named Ravi Zacharias. And he took this passage and he showed me that I didn't care at all about what was true. I just wanted to have what I wanted. And I wanted to pull verses that I liked and ignore verses that I didn't. And I wanted to make a God in my own image. Jesus is saying the purpose of God is advancing in great clarity. And if you do not listen to what God clearly says, either in someone like John or in someone like Jesus, you will find condemnation. You will miss what God is doing. This is a passage that demands humility from each of us. Because we have to be open to what God is doing. All of us have opinions and convictions about what church should be like. We believe that the church is continuing the purpose of God. So I talked a second ago about God's purpose. After Jesus dies and rises from the dead, he he appoints the apostles to go out and continue his message, to, to spread the good news that the king is here. You can be forgiven for your sins. And the church exists today to continue spreading that message. The question is, are we faithful to what God wants to do? Are we listening to God? We all have preferences about church and we all have convictions about what the scriptures teach. But are you and I humble enough to admit when we're wrong, to be open to the voice of God, to be open to the spirit of God? Do we submit to the word of God? When God says something to you so clearly in his word, and rather than obeying what his word says, we say, that can't be what that means. Or, Do you hear the word of God and say, Lord, I don't totally understand why you said this, but I trust you. The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that he who did not spare his own son for us, will he not fail to give us every good thing? The Bible is so clear again and again that God's heart is good and love. And yet it says some difficult things to each of us. We all have passages of scripture that that we are not comfortable with. The question is, are you humble enough to submit to what the word of God says? Or will you twist it and make it submit to you? Because if you will not listen to God, I believe what Jesus is saying is, you will suffer the same condemnation. Do not be confused about Jesus. He comes offering life and peace and blessing. You can have forgiveness through his blood. He also comes as your king now. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's for today. And his commandments are all throughout the Bible. If you have no interest in knowing what he commands and no interest in being faithful to what his word describes then you are not following King Jesus. You're trying to get King Jesus to follow you. So don't be confused. You are not the king. He is. John was not wrong 
Jesus is returning as a judge. Are you ready for that? You will look him in the eye one day and and he will ask you, what did you do with my word? And if you neglected it and disobeyed it, I would not look forward to that conversation. Repentance is urgent. Your sins will be paid for. Either you plead for God's mercy and Christ pays for them or you pay for them with your life. Jesus is your judge. Let me urge you to be committed to God's purpose. So don't be confused. Be committed. We must be dedicated as Christians and as a church to telling people that our sins can be forgiven through Jesus. We need to follow all of the commands of Scripture for our church. First, you and I need to make sure that we are right with God. And second, We need to make sure that we are faithful to his commands. And third, we need to spread the message of God's forgiveness far and wide. Our king could return at any moment. Do not be condemned. Let's pray. As we prepare to close this, this time of worship, as, as I've preached the word, if you need assurance that your sins can be forgiven in Christ, I would encourage you to just call out to God and ask for his forgiveness. The scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because Jesus himself died in your place and rose from the dead. And so you can leave today Resting in Jesus Christ. If you choose to do that, I would urge you to follow the Lord in obedience and baptism. And if you as a Christian today recognize that you are not submitting to the word of God. I would encourage you to ask for forgiveness from the Lord and recommit yourself to obedience. Commit yourself to God's purpose. Make sure that your life is furthering the kingdom of God. Father in heaven, I pray that as as your word readies us for Christ, as it confronts our sin, I ask that you would help us to remember the hope of Christ and the blessings of Christ. Lord, I pray that as we leave today, we would leave rejoicing, confident, because King Jesus is ready and willing and able to forgive and to lead and to provide for his people. Lord, provide for us. Forgive us in our weakness. Empower us for obedience and make us faithful until we see Christ. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, I pray. Amen. the message has has been a little bit heavy I feel like it was faithful to the text I hope it was but I don't want anybody to leave discouraged because we have an amazing savior and so as I dismiss you today I want to leave you with a blessing that Paul gave to the church in, in Corinth Paul says may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
God gives his grace freely to anyone who asks. And so don't doubt that God loves you and offers you real forgiveness, real love, and real fellowship. Trust in his promises and go in peace.